In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or on your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. field people will come and it doesn't happen you have to look at how you're doing business hello and welcome to a brand spanking new episode of white Sox business the white Sox podcast that's just happy to be here and while we're here we're going to be continuing our preview of this week's mlb draft last week we talked to fangraphs eric longenhagen about the draft and took a broader approach to it as well as some current white Sox prospects like Luis robert and nick madrigal if you haven't listened to it yet Find the time to do so because there's a lot of useful and interesting information in it. Today, we're going to take a slightly different approach. James and I are joined by Keenan Lamb from Baseball Prospectus. He's the senior draft writer as well as the amateur scouting coordinator over there. And we're going to talk to him about specific players that we think will be available to the White Sox when they pick 11th. And he'll give us his thoughts on that. And he'll also share some of his theories for what he thinks the White Sox are going to do and why. So you should listen that way. When the White Sox do make their draft pick on Wednesday, you'll know about the guy and you can immediately turn to your friends and tell them all about it and look really smart. But before we get to all that, James, I need to ask you for your thoughts about the Bulls season officially being over. Go Bulls! And that's James on the Chicago Bulls. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm glad that the really bad team will not, um, I don't know, have Zach Levine blow out his acl and like a meaningless game in disney world uh with no fans and so i can hear him screaming over the court mics that doesn't sound like a good experience so <laughs> i don't know the one step closer to uh coaching change i guess is what everyone's hoping or at least that's what we're hoping yeah because it hasn't happened yet what's what's that closer say, to a contract extension yeah i, I <laughs> shit I will say that it's like I'm happy that they don't have to play anymore this season and we don't have to watch this team. But at the same time, it's like I feel like that's probably not great just for development considering you have a young team. And there's also the fact that we probably won't see the Bulls playing a game again until December. So like when you look at it from that aspect, it's like, oh, man, that that kind of sucks. But whatever. Uh, Speaking of things we might not see until December at the earliest, there's baseball still has its head up its ass. For the most part, uh, shortly before we started recording to this show, there was news of the latest proposal from MLB. Uh, Carl Ravitch was first on it. He said that Major League Baseball has made a proposal to players, 75% prorated salary, 76-game season, playoff pool money, no draft comp- no draft pick compensation for signing free agents. The season would finish on September 27th. The postseason would be at the end of October. And according to him, so he clearly got this news from the owner's side. It's a significant move towards player demands and an effort to play more. He said, also, according to sources, this equates to roughly $200 million more in player salaries. The 50-game season is not a threat rather than a negotiated right. Hopefully this spurs further dialogue. And then came the Athletics' Evan Drellich, who got the other side 
of the argument. Right. The MLBPA regards today's offer. Oh, I'm reading his tweet. The MLBPA regards today's offer from MLB to be worse than the league's last because it shifts greater emphasis on risk sharing in the postseason. Players would receive 50% of pro rata if there is no postseason, 75 if there is. And then there was uh, there's Jeff Passan trying to kind of break it all down, <laughs> saying that the best way to put it is the original bad, offer. Bad was, morning to have tweet alerts for Jeff Passan. Good grief! No shit. <laughs> the original offer was 82 games. Players would receive just over one billion in salary and 200 million if the playoffs are played. The current offer is 76 games. Players would receive 989 million and 443 if the playoffs are played. If they went with a 48-game option, which is very much on the table, it would be $1.03 billion in salary, the same as the 82 games, but there'd be no playoff money. But the gist of it is, while the overall compensation in salary in the 76-game plan that was just given today is less, it's kind of – is it more pro per game status that way and there's more in the playoff? I, I don't know. All I know is the players saw it and they're kind of just like, nope, we want 100% no matter what. I mean – I, I would assume that's their stance until they break from it in a formal way mm. that they want to agree to something. But it, it seems like they're saying, all right, we'll play a little bit more games and thus you'll get uh, a higher take, but then we'll take your uh, per game like pay way down. Uh, I, I think Josh Nelson Sox Machine like broke it down uh, in a way of like Lucas Giolito would make like five more starts, but he could get like... <laughs> $25,000 for it uh, total or something like that. It's just like they'll get a, a higher sum as a result of playing more games, but they'll take kind of the per game uh, takeaway down to the point where it's not, it's it's much more risk put on the players without uh, a significant increase in take home. Um, yeah, it, it seems like they're trying every, every time they kind of adjust one way to accommodate players demands a bit more. They try to like, slide down some other element of the offer to to compensate and it's i guess from the outside it's just not going to look productive until there's a deal and the fact that they've already at this point in negotiations and there's still not a deal i think we have a full right to kind of rage about it and how obstinate the owners are being and seemingly prioritizing all these things in the face of just getting something done and resuming baseball and having a uh, something mildly optimistic about how people feel about the sport um, resuming. And that's disheartening, and I think that deserves scrutiny. But I also, I, I think I remember uh, kind of instructions from both Jason Stark and, uh, you know, Evan Drellish has talked about in his writing as well, is just not get too caught up in the play-by-play. You know, I, I've seen some opining about, like, well, this is so frustrating to baseball diehards. I imagine they're only going to, like, throw away casual fans even more i don't think casual fans are melting down every single time no. there's an exchange of like a new <laughs> proposal they're probably not really hearing about it until it's like 24 hours old and i think their main takeaway is that oh there's no deal yet um it's our job to probably communicate that more but i i don't have league sources about the negotiation so i'm mostly taking away uh the writings of ken rosenthal and evan drellich and it seems to be the owners are being really obstinate and trying to make sure that they can protect themselves immediately from daily game-by-game losses, and I think that's short-sighted, which I've said. Yeah, I, I could attest to, like, most of my friends who are either White Sox or Cubs fans but aren't, like, diehard following everything that happens fans, most of them are in that position where all they know right now is that they haven't agreed to anything. They don't know any of the details of it because they're not really paying attention to it. But 
I mentioned it on Thursday because that's when I originally posted the poll just shortly before we started recording. But the results of that poll with over 1,400 votes was that 42% of the respondents thought that there would be a season. 58% thought there won't be a season. It'd be interesting to see what those numbers are this morning after the latest things come out because I bet it would suddenly shoot up to 70% no because that's just going to be the reactionary. Well, I'm sure uh, everyone who's responding to Twitter polls are just very reasonable and casual observers. Well, I think a lot of them were honest in that I also sent out a, a tweet that asked if if the season is canceled, how will it affect your relationship with baseball? And seventy two percent said it won't. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> at least I mean I can't I I'm not one of them. If I, we if we framed it the other way and said like thirty percent of people say like they won't watch baseball anymore, like that would be a that would be a you know a source of panic. That'd be a eye popping headline. But I also think like a decent amount of those people are. I don't know. Yeah, they would have, they'd be more cranky about baseball, but they would still watch. Well, only 6% of the respondents said they would be done with the sport. Right. 22% said they would just watch less often, probably. So, still, that's 28%. Yeah, I can see that. And the owners have definitely banked too hard on the idea of like people will watch no matter what. We can get away with all sorts of screwy antics, but I, I still don't necessarily think like I, I'm less leaning towards the fate of the sport is at stake at every single moment. Um, definitely the fate of their market share is at stake. Um, but you know, yeah, I, I want them to play. I, I want resolution. I want the owners to stop being so obstinate, but I, I'm also just a little bit allergic to over dramatization. I, I do think there is something, I don't think there's a risk with us, the old, like you and I and all the diehards. Yeah. Because you know, we're we we're already baseball fans. Now you might lose some of them, like you lost some fans in '94. I think the the concern is that with younger viewers, if if baseball's not in front of them, they're not going to have a reason to care about baseball. Like you know, if the NBA is playing and now soccer is becoming more and more popular, if if these things are on TV in front of kids and baseball isn't, which ones are they going to care about more? So uh, I think that slam is ball if it comes back. Hell yeah. Oh my God. What Jesus, we should bring Slam Ball back. Yeah. This is the perfect time. Soak up everybody. Hell yeah. Wow. Wow. Slam ball. If if get get in touch with James and I, we've got some ideas. Uh speaking of ideas and speaking of sports that are actually happening, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the draft is this week. It is baseball activity. So uh let's get to our interview with baseball prospectus, senior major league baseball draft writer, Keenan Lamb. Keenan. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Uh, are, are, how excited on a scale of 1 to 10 are you for the draft beginning this week, the fact that there's actual baseball activity for the first time in months? Well, I mean, there's that built-in excitement, of course, and then it's just something for me I always look forward to every year. Uh, so it's just the culmination of many months of – scouting players and looking at video and writing about them. So for it to finally be able to turn that page over and, you know, once basically Friday hits, it's here we go. Class of 2021, here we come. So I'm looking forward to it. So with like baseball pretty much being shut down in the spring and nothing happening since then, how, how is your process for evaluating players? For Not this a draft single changed? thing happening. Yeah. Nothing has <laughs> happened, but how, how is your process, you know, changed for evaluating players this year considering there hasn't been any games for a lot of these prospects to play right i mean i I was able to see you know a decent amount in the you know month or so of college and high school games i live in jacksonville florida so they they get a pretty good start on things in mid-february 
So I did as much as I could in that amount of time. And then since, you know, the suspension of all things athletics, I just put a really he heavy emphasis on watching as much video as possible, which is what in turn, a lot of scouts and scouting departments have had to do as well. You just uh, see as much as you possibly can, you know, as recent as possible. Um, you turn your eyes to a lot of social media things that players are putting out there. Uh, it's, it's forced you to just do a lot of stuff from your own computer, which is convenient in one way, working from home, uh, like everyone else has had to do. Uh, but also, it's you. there's a little bit of an asterisk there because you really don't know how a lot of players have matured over the course of the, the fall and spring, and uh, there's a lot that could have changed. Well, we're going to – like, the White Sox are drafting 11th, and we're going to – ask you some questions here about particular prospects because you know we're our, our listeners are interested in knowing who the white Sox are going to draft and we want them to have an idea of who these players are before they're taken so that way they can turn to their friends and pretend they knew all along and say oh yeah this guy he's got this and that he's but you know he needs to work on this so that way they can sound smart so <clears throat> with the white Sox picking 11th we've got like a list of guys who we believe should be in that range and the first one i'm going to ask you about is reed detmers yeah, Reed Detmers is a long-term prototypical starter. I don't think you're going to see him as a guy who's got question marks in much of a reliever role. His, his fastball is pretty average from what you would consider a top 10, you know, top 15 pick would normally be. It's in the low 90s usually. What's special about him is he's got a lights-out curveball. It's a big breaker. Uh, it, it's something that's completely befuddled college hitting for a couple years now. And uh, he's a guy who's very good with command, uh, needs to work a little bit development on the third pitch being his changeup, but he's a guy who's going to be a, a long-term starter moving forward as opposed to some of the other pitching prospects we might be talking about. Now with Detmers, like, because I'm wondering too, with the way things have gone this year, we don't know if there's going to be a season, what that season's going to look like, but what would you put as his timetable to reaching the majors? And how do you think overall we might see a shift in how teams approach that for this season alone with, you know, not knowing what the rest of this year is going to look like and not knowing, frankly, what 2021 is going to look like? Well, I, I think you see a very different paradigm shift happening this year where you, you not necessarily see teams uh, being so risk averse that they completely you know, change up their entire draft style. But I think it is going to be built in. Um, one thing that is very unique to the White Sox, though, in, in which they're one of my favorite teams to talk about in, in terms of this year's draft, is unlike any other MLB draft, when you're just taking the best player available, the White Sox conceivably could do something really different and actually pick for need. And because of their positional players being locked in for many, many years, they've got just across the board, it could have one more corner outfielder potentially with Noah Mazzara coming off the books in a few years. But other than that, they're, they're set for the next four or five years with long-term assets. So they could go a different route and go for someone like a Max Meyer if he were to drop there or a Garrett Crochet out of Tennessee or uh, potentially Cade Cavalli out of Oklahoma. Some of these pitchers, which is a need in the system right now of guys who potentially, even as soon as this year, could you drop them into the bullpen if needed in this shortened season where so much is condensed and there's a real chance that making a quick run at things, why not if you're the White Sox? 
Which one of those guys do you think would have the best chance of doing that if the White Sox were to take that route? I think Max Meyer, who was a guy who might not be there and available to them at 11, is the best opportunity to do that. Um, he already has this super reliever profile as it is uh, with a fastball running up to 100 miles an hour. He's got this spiked curveball, spiked slider that's been graded as an 80 on the 2080 scouting scale. Uh, one, scout to- one scout told me it was the best pitch in this year's draft, bar none, and could get hitters out today. If he were to make it down to 11, I would jump at Max Meyer because he could be a starter long-term very easily, but you could throw him into a bullpen as soon as this year, and he could potentially add a lot of value to you. And then you figure out down the road next year or the year after that, stretch him out and try and get him into a starter's role and see what happens. You want to kick the coffee habit, but you're worried about your energy levels. To avoid the morning sluggishness and that midday slump, you need to make sure you're hydrated. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant's backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You could save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash athletic. That's drinkhydrant.com slash athletic for 25% off your first order. Is this the... uh insane theory that you you hinted at when we were talking before the podcast yeah i i think it's because it, you never ever talk about drafting for need so i i even though there's a, a lot of people are saying you know the white Sox in recent years they're gonna go college position player that's kind of their mo i would if i'm the white Sox, i would really go against the grain there and, and pick for need because that, that's the one area that you can look at the system as a whole in a current MLB team as it's constructed, they're just missing some pitching help, uh, both starters, uh, maybe some uh, bullpen uh, pitchers as well if they don't seem to make it out as starters. So that's something I would highly look at uh, is looking at a college pitcher who can get to, through the system fairly quickly. I think it'd be an interesting play for them. Uh, before we get to the next player, though, to follow up on what you mentioned with the White Sox in that position, do you think that with the White Sox having a new person in charge of the draft in Mike Shirley, have you had any inklings from people you've talked to that there might be a shift in their philosophy for what they're planning to do? You know, with it being an internal hire, I don't think so. Um, I don't. It is a new voice. It is a new person. That is, you know, unquestioned. But I think they're going to still have same some of the same philosophies. You still have many of the same scouts throughout uh, the various areas. So I, I don't think you're going to see something drastic where they're going to, you know, try and cut an underslot deal to a high school player to try and get money and maybe later rounds to allocate to another, you know, high bonus type player. So I, when you look at the White Sox, I think there is a track record of what you can reasonably expect. And I think uh, what they're going to be able to do on Wednesday is probably going to fall somewhere within that norm. Uh, I just believe that, uh, you know, going a college pitcher route might be interesting. To, I guess, tack to both transitions of the next player on the list. And also just, I guess, 
offer another theory uh, that I heard was that if the position, their position core is kind of set and everyone's, their, their main cogs are kind of floating to the majors at this point, would this be an opportunity to maybe start the next wave of bats in your system? Um, a guy who I think is mostly projected to go further, but I wanted to talk about him because he's a Harvard Westlake guy, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong. What would be kind of the pros and cons there? Yeah, that'd be a very strong strategy as well. I definitely agree with you there because you're not really counting on a high school position player to help you anytime soon. And with a lot of you know these core players at the big leagues, uh, either cost controlled for you know five years or long term contracts for another five or six years, you know taking either a local kid like Ed Howard or Pete Crow Armstrong, uh, who is probably going to be available uh, upwards of the early twenties or so. Uh, th- there's a, a number of other position players, either like an Austin Hendrick, Robert Hassel, uh, a lot of good high school players that could be ready for you in the next four or five years. And even, you know, if they were to make a contribution to the team in that time span, and those players are still uh, contributing for you at the big league level, then they became uh, trade assets. Uh, so you can still bolster your team that way down the road. You know, one player I've seen mocked to the White Sox in in a lot of different mock drafts in recent weeks has been Patrick Bailey. Is that like, first of all, what are your thoughts on Bailey? And do you think that is more of a reflection of kind of the approach that they've taken in recent years and kind of just doing, you know, A plus B equals C? I think it's a reflection of that's probably the best player available on the board to them at that time. And there's... By picking Bailey, there's not going to be a single person knocking that pick. He's a very good advanced college catching bat, which can do everything. He hits from both sides of the plate with power. He's a very good defensively, uh, pretty athletic behind the plate, despite being you know pretty big, uh, large framed catcher. A uh, very good arm, also. Uh, he's just the the do everything catcher that you would expect to see at that point, at like around a top ten pick. Um, I had a scout say he reminded him a lot of Shailen Galeers, who went seventh last year to the Braves. Uh, just not a whole lot of weaknesses to the game. Maybe not you know the flashiest, but a very good player. And if you take him at eleven, he's just the best guy on the board. So that's that's what, to be expected. What would be the odds you'd give him of being able to stick at catcher long term? Just if you had on a twenty eighty scale, where would you put it? Um, I would say it's pretty normal. So a 2080 scale, definitely above average to, to be able to stick at that position. What you're seeing in this year's catcher's crop, uh, you see a couple very good defensive catchers like Patrick Bailey, uh, Dylan Dingler out of Ohio State are kind of the top two catching prospects and are likely to stick at that position. And then you got a couple players behind them, like Tyler Soderstrom, who's a high school catcher uh, out of California and Austin Wells out of Arizona, both those guys, I don't think they're going to end up staying at catcher in the long term. They're very good offensive players, but I think they'd be best served uh, maybe in a quarter outfield position where they can get their bats in the lineup. So Patrick Bailey, I think, is far more likelier to stay at catcher, uh, which is why you'd probably pick him that high. Do you Have you heard concerns about Bailey's bat? Because... I have, I guess, uh, while working a profile for him for the athletic, was that all of his high school coaches were very like uh, adamant that he was that they loved him defensively, but that they they were almost surprised by how much success he had at NC State offensively. So, what, what was your view of Bailey's bat? 
Uh, I think the bat is legit. Um, they're, they're always going to be a little bit of swing and miss uh, when you get to a switch hitting profile because it is hard to maintain that swing from both sides of the plate. The extra amount of effort and reps that go in to just being on top of that, it's tough. When you throw in the fact that he's also a catcher, I mean, you can ask Yasmani Grandal like, how tough it is. It, it, there's a lot, a lot of time and effort that goes into that. He's done a good job at NC State maintaining that swing, developing the power. I think the power is always going to be there uh, just because he's a big physical player. The swing, on the other hand, uh, I think it's pretty good for his uh, ability. Um, I don't know if he's always going to be uh, you know, a 300 hitter like he was at NC State. I think you can expect something in the – 260, 270 range. Probably, that would be a, a 50 or so on the 2080 scale. So that's fine. That's what you want out of a catcher. You want someone who can produce a, a fair amount on the offensive side, but also is, is going to be somebody who's going to be very good behind the plate, maintaining the relationships with the pitching staff, calling games. And that's where a lot of his value is going to come from. The, uh, the White Sox were very um... – Stubborn about insisting that Zach Collins could ins- uh, stick behind the plate. Well, hold, hold, hold on, the White Sox were stubborn, right? So, I guess <laughs> when you say that these guys, these high school guys, Soderstrom and uh, you know the other dude, <laughs> can't remember his name, uh, when you say that they're unlikely to stick behind the plate, would a particularly stubborn org maybe uh, you know stick with them in that development project uh, longer than others, or is it just a it's a less than 10% shot and there's not really many orgs that would question that. Well, I think you bring up a pretty good point there because the Zach Collins analogy is that's, that's fair. Um, I think in the case with someone like Soderstrom, who's seen as this very high offensive potential player and who actually didn't catch a lot in high school because on his team, they had a better defensive catcher on their team. So he didn't even start a majority of his games despite being a first round pick at his own high school. So you want to get the bat in the lineup for someone like him. I mean, even Bryce Harper once upon a time was a high school catcher and they knew that, Hey, this kid's bat is too special. We need to get him out from behind the plate and just get him in the lineup as soon as we can. So I think also with the white Sox, when you also look at the depth of that position in their system, which you've got some pretty decent players uh, behind Grandal with uh, Collins being one, although he's probably meant for first base or DH uh, you've got uh, Sebi Zavala. Uh, you've got um, uh, who's the guy? Just McCann. Run, they have. You got McCann. Yeah, you, you got several guys who could be big league catchers on there. So you don't have to force him into that cookie cutter role uh, if you do draft a bat first catcher in this draft. You can just say, hey, go out there, swing at anything you can, and drive in some runs for us, and we'll be happy. You mentioned like when talking about the White Sox having so much of their positional core locked up when talking about the idea of maybe them going for that pitcher that can fill in right away. But you also said that, you know, the corner outfield is the one spot where they seem to not have a long term answer because Nomar Mazzara, who they traded for, is not, you know, he still has a few years of control, but he, unlike the other players like Moncada, Luis Robert, Eloy, he's not signed long term. He's just, they're kind of taking a flyer on him while he's still cheap. So, if the outfield was something that they addressed, what could you tell me, first of all, about how to pronounce his last name? Because I'm sure I'm about to butcher it. But what that was can you also tell me my about, question. Yeah. Heston Kerstad? You were really close. Damn. Really close. From what I understand, it's Heston Kierstad. Okay. 
Okay, so it's more of a short A than the long A at the end. But uh, he, he's a very good player, and he'd be if he were happened to slide to the White Sox, that also would be a very good pick. Right now, uh, he's kind of in that next tier of players at the top of that next tier. This draft really is about the first five or six picks. Those players are all on kind of a class of their own. And then the next tier of players, which kind of starts with Kierstad, is about 50 players deep and it's kind of interchangeable to where they could potentially be going anywhere between pick seven and pick 50. It's that deep of a class. So Kierstad is a very, very good player who dominated SEC pitching for three years and they're happy to see him go, I'm sure. But uh, he's a very good hitter in the sense that he has some of the best hand-eye coordination in this draft. Uh, he can just find the barrel, find the ball and do damage. Um, he'd be a great player in that corner outfield profile that the White Sox could look at, and he'd be a great addition. He is a – obviously, he's a guy you draft for the bat and the power. Why did he strike out so much at our Arkansas in his first two years? Um, he doesn't have great strike zone uh, awareness. He's very aggressive with his approach um, he, to the point the, – the video that I saw of him this year – it wasn't so much that he was swinging less. He was just making contact more on pitches out of the zone. So that's definitely something you kind of raise your eyebrow to when you're talking about investing so much money in a top pick like this. But with somebody who has that, I mean, I'm not going to compare him to Nick Madrigal, but that's why Nick Madrigal is, is thought of so highly is for the same reason. He just puts the bat on the ball and it's a kind of a rare skill to be that good at one thing. And the difference between Kierstad and Madrigal is that Kierstad can hit the bar the ball a long ways and is a much bigger player. Yeah, Nick Madrigal most definitely has not shown a propensity for hitting a ball a long way yet. So he does make plenty of contact. Uh, another player, another outfielder, actually, I've seen mocked to the White Sox is Garrett Mitchell. What can, what can you tell me about him? Uh, you got a really polarizing feel on Garrett Mitchell because I've – heard uh, scouts talk about him being one of the best athletes that this uh, draft has seen in many years. He looks like a, a free safety out in center field, but then there's others. And I'm kind of more on this side of the Garrett Mitchell bandwagon where you worry a little bit about the offensive production. Uh, for me, if you're going to be that big, that physical, that great of an athlete, you know, hitting five or six home runs a year isn't really something you'd expect out of a player with that kind of profile. And I looked at his swing a lot, and his swing isn't going to translate to a lot of power, so you're going to have to really rework uh, some of the mechanics on that if you're going to tap into some more of that strength that he's got in his body. Right now, he's a plus-plus runner. He's a very good defender who can go gap-to-gap -gap in, in center field. But offensively, I would like to see more power, and he, he's got a lot of changes to make if he's going to reach that potential. But at least what you're saying is for physical appearance, he and Luis Robert would make a great pairing on Instagram. Right, very so. And in fact, you could probably just stick the two of them in the outfield and just bring in another infielder and just let them go and, and run around out in the outfield. I think that would work. See, I, I'm not totally opposed to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh can you explain why everyone we've discussed is uh, are, are stiffs and the White Sox should just draft local product uh, Ed Howard instead? 
I, I wouldn't say that Ed Howard would be the answer because everyone else is stiffs. I would say Ed Howard might be the answer just because he's a really good player. Um, when we talked about the strategy of potentially looking at a, a more of a long-term uh, potential player, taking one of these kind of high school players who have a lot more development behind them, Ed Howard is kind of Tim Anderson 2.0. Uh, he's very athletic, very good bat-to-ball skills and contact ability to all, all fields. Did really well in the summer showcase last year. I, everything that I tracked down, I unfortunately didn't get to see him uh, last fall when he was at the Perfect Game World Championships in South Florida. He was nursing a bit of an injury um, and was expecting to see him this spring. And unfortunately, with the pandemic, didn't get to see him. So everything I've seen is video-related, but he's really good. He's got very good transitions with his hands. Um, slick infielder. He's the one shortstop prospect who is kind of a slam dunk first round talent in this year's draft, which is kind of rare. And I I would not be opposed to him going that early in the draft. If you have scouted him, you've seen him at his best. You believe that he's a future long-term shortstop or uh, even athletic enough to be maybe a center fielder. Go ahead, pull the trigger. Uh, He's a, he's just good. Is the scarcity of shortstops in this draft and a draft that's otherwise, as you've mentioned, very deep, is uh, is that maybe boosting up his value more than would in a normal year for shortstops? I don't know if that's necessarily the case. He's just a very good athlete uh, and very good athletes at a young age who have a, shown a field to hit. They're just going to be thought of and highly well regarded. The difference with him is we just didn't get to see it in the spring. That's what's so abnormal. Not necessarily where the depth of the position is this year because normally the best player is going to get picked. But uh, I think if he had had a chance to play this spring, you know, you, you could have seen him very close to the top 10 where the White Sox, you know, drafting him would have been a no-brainer. I, I don't think position scarcity is really going to factor in because it never really does uh, in baseball drafts. He He's just a player who hasn't gotten a chance to show it this spring. I know, I know, like Ed Howard's the one I want the White Sox to draft. A, because I know more about him than anybody else this year, but B, I just, you know, <laughs> I just have an affection for him. All thanks to you, James, for what you wrote. So good for you. Well, I also wrote about Bailey, but they're not supposed to release nope. that article in the day he's drafted. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, we're going to, we're going to let you get out of here on this one last question here, Keenan. Now, we're recording this on Monday. The draft starts in a couple of days. But you have to tell me right now, who will the White Sox take at number 11, knowing that if you are wrong, we will mock you ceaselessly on the internet. Maybe have you on later next draft. And maybe have you on later. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, so I can so I can grovel and ask for everyone's apologies. Yeah. For, to beg for, for so White wrong. Sox fans forgiveness. Yeah. We probably won't remember, to be honest. Right. Um, I, I still, I, I'm a big believer in my draft for need theory. I think it would be very interesting to go this route. I think there's a, a bunch of players that, that are going to be available to them um, that they could go any number of a bunch of different directions. I really think that Garrett Crochet, left-handed pitcher out of Tennessee, who has been up to 100 miles per hour uh, late, late last fall and this spring, he's got a wipeout slider. He's the type of player who you could get up through the system relatively quickly and then see what he can do as a full-time starter later on. I, I have him in my top 30 prospects as the 10th best prospect in this draft. He does have some warts to him. 
as far as uh, can he be a starter long term? And uh, he was uh, shut down for a couple weeks this spring. He only actually pitched once uh, during the college season this spring. But I I love the upside and the potential. So you'd be getting a, a really high potential player, but also at the same time somebody you can use soon. Is that where you feel like the value is in this draft? Is the depth of the pitching? Since it's something uh, Mike Shirley mentioned in his conference call last week with reporters, and it, it's something you hear a lot. Do you feel like that's where they could find somebody who? Um, you know, slips from the top 10 or, or it's just a good route to go um, in this draft? It, yeah, universally, you're going to look at one of the best college pitcher drafts in, in recent memory. I mean, even if they don't take a picture, a pitcher at 11 and do go the position player route, whether it's a project player or even a college player, you know, even at pick 47 in the second round, there's going to be a really good college pitcher still sitting there who could succeed and do the same thing that I'm talking about as a pitcher taken at 11. So there you're going to still get a, a very good player in the second round. And I, it's, you can even get a very good pitcher in the third round and pick a three for the white Sox. It, it's just that deep of a class this year. All right. Well, Keenan, this has been great. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time out to, to get to talk to us about it. And uh, we hope, you know, we, as we, we, me and James hope we have actual baseball to watch in the near future. We hope you're actually able to go out and see players playing as well soon, because that's all any of us really want as far as baseball fans are concerned. But thank you for uh, joining us today. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Keenan. All right. Thanks again to Keenan for joining us. If you'd like to follow him on Twitter, you can do so at Keenan Lamb. Now it's K E A N A N L A M B. So that's kind of important. You know, it's not it's not your typical Keenan spelling, James. No, uh, I, I definitely woke up this morning prepared to call a man Keenan uh, multiple times, and uh, thankfully I've been set on the right track. What a Keenan. Kanan. Maybe Kaner. it is Kanan. Maybe it is, and he was just way too polite to correct us at any point. I will never know. I have to have him on nine more times to really confirm. <laughs> All right, but yeah, no, seriously, the thank, that was a great interview. He gave us a lot of useful information, stuff that I, I didn't really know because I haven't spent nearly as much time studying prospects for the draft this year because honestly with the White Sox picking at 11 like the last few years when they've been in the top five it's it's involved a lot less work because you've only got to look up a few players <laughs> but this year at 11 it's like there's such a wide range of guys where I've just been like yeah no I ain't got I ain't got the time for that even though a lot of us have a lot of time right now but James who's since this is the last show before the draft begins what's your official prediction for the White Sox you're taking this is the last one we're going to hold you to it I think, you know, so nice. Why not draft him twice? Kobe White, baby. <laughs> Did you want me to do an actual guess? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> Some dude. Well, I'm going to go with Ed Howard just because I'm trying to speak it into existence. Like I spoke Carlos Rodon into existence. Like I spoke... Nick Madrigal, which I no longer. All right, if I'm going to speak something to existence, I'm going to go with Reed Detmers falling unexpectedly into their their arms. All right, cool. That's cool. But I, I want Ed Howard, so that's. I just feel like that'd be the more interesting angle, and also because since he's a high schooler, it's not like we need him up right away because the position is kind of filled at the moment. But it'd be nice to have a succession plan in place there. Uh, I, I do wonder, like, what's the? Because I did the story about Ed in January. Or I, I interviewed him in January. Um, him and Tim have same agent, and they're good friends, and they talk to each other. How does that relationship evolve with the "Hey, now I'm your successor" <laughs> angle to it? 
I, I don't think know. it would be great. I think he'd I be think magnanimous, be, but it, it's interesting. I think Tim would be fucking fantastic at just being like, I mean, I don't think Tim would be worried about losing his job, but I think he'd also be very good at, you know, helping out in every single way he could to help make sure that when he is time for Tim to leave and move on, that Ed's ready. I, I think he would be good uh, the first couple of years. I think it's interesting for him to be in a walk if, year. If Ed's hitting like 380 in triple A and, and Tim is in his walk shit. year, that's a little awkward. <laughs> is it not? I mean, yeah, I think it would be. But I also think that, you know, at that point, if Tim's in his walk year, Tim might be ready to hit the open market. So, you know, Tim would know that he could take care of himself. Tim, Tim is just going to be like high stepping his way out of a uh, 10 years with the same organization. Like, oh, you know, seasons change. Who cares? Whatever. It, I don't think that'd be ideal, but hey, maybe maybe somebody gets moved by then. Maybe Tim's at third. Uh, the other element for me is that very much I'm dependent on draft for content, and like I could just <laughs> go down the line and like profile all five of their players because that's all I have to do. Um, do I just call up Ed's high school coach again? Because I've already yes. done it. I need like a new article idea. So, how are things? <laughs> How's the family? Yeah, that's so what's what's changed since we last talked. How you how you been? What's going on? Huh? How about you give me some new quotes? <laughs> you remember the questions I asked you last time? Let's pretend I just asked them to you again, but give me different answers. Yeah, that's what you do on the podcast with me, so I might mm-hmm. as well spread it around. It's kind of what we do, or at least we've been forced to <laughs> by a circumstance, contractual uh, obligation. <laughs> they're actually they're holding me here there are there are hired goons by the athletic in my office making sure that i record this with you whether i want to or not but uh we should probably get going because cam's got a heart out here coming up soon so let's let's get to shout outs i am going to shout out antonio vivaldi just because he's one of my favorite composers and i've spent a lot of time listening to him in recent days so Shout out to a guy that's been dead for a very long time. James? Where's he from? Italy. Oh, what a coincidence. You love Italy. Yeah. I do, but it's I, I also love other composers, and I don't just love Vivaldi because he's Italian. I love Vivaldi because I think the violin's probably my favorite instrument, and the stuff he did is the best for the violin. Are, uh, do you play the violin? No. I just like it a lot. Hmm. Do you want me to learn violin for like next episode? Do you already know? Because that'd be a fun little... I've never picked one up in my life. <laughs> I have mastered it in the last three days. <laughs> it is an easy instrument for any fool to learn. <laughs> yeah, do it. Learn the violin before Thursday's show. Okay. Who's your shout out to? Uh, I'm going to shout out to the uh, Brave Space Alliance in Southside Chicago, which is... I had the address, but it, you know it's, it's near my neighborhood in Kenwood. Uh, they are dedicated to providing a, uh, open free space and also just like community resources, psychological aid, and they're running a mutual aid program right now with COVID-19 going on for, uh, transgender nonconforming people of color in the Southwest side of Chicago. So I donate to them. I support them. Um, shout out to them. Shout out to them and shout out to James for using his shout out for good and me just talking about violins. I think you did the good last time and I might've just yelled, uh, I don't know, Jim Boylan or something. 
<laughs> we alternate good and selfish asshole. That's the that is the theme of White Sox. The business. yin and the and yang. <laughs> we thank you for putting up with it for one more episode. We thank you for listening, and uh, we will be back on Thursday after the first round of the MLB draft to you know break down who the White Sox have drafted and hopefully have other things to break down as well. Thanks for listening. We will see you Thursday. Draft at Howard. Howard.